The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome, I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and uh, thank you for joining me today. I'm just so grateful for all my wonderful listeners all over the world and excited that people are enjoying some of the content and some of the, um, all of the guests that we've had on the show, and I've been very uh, grateful for the people that have been willing to come on and um, have a talk about what they see going on in the world and what they believe about leadership and what their research tells them. It's been an, an incredible experience and opportunity to meet some great people. If you've been listening, you know that um, I was recently in Dubai and uh, had a great time there, as always, and uh, had the great opportunity to meet, I think again, uh, Professor David Ulrich. And why this was just so exciting for me, because David is absolutely an icon in my field, and he's an individual that had a great deal of influence uh, over the years at GE and how GE shaped its human resource practices and how GE shaped its leadership practices. He's the Rensis Lickert Professor of Business at the University of Michigan and co-founder of the Ross School of Business at uh, and, and partner in the um, RBL group. He is absolutely outstanding in what he does around studying how organizations build capability, leadership, speed, learning, accountability, and talent through le- leveraging human resources. And he was the closing speech, I was the opening speech, and I have to tell you, I, I kind of held my breath because I'm definitely not the icon that that uh, David is, and I'm like, oh, I hope, I hope what he says dovetailed with what I said so that we weren't contradicting each other, and I went up to him after and, you know, just uh, wiped my brow and said, Phew. fortunately, we were very much aligned in, in our thinking, so I had a lot of good time talking with David, and he agreed to come on the show, so thank you so much, David, for joining me today. Well, I am so honored to be here, Linda. Thank you. Our paths have crossed for a lot of years, and uh, it's fun to actually connect and have a discussion. I often go by Dave instead of David, so don't hesitate to do that as well. Okay. Well, I, I saw you as just, just uh, one of the professors that I just love because you're just so down-to-earth and so engaging with people in the audience. Clearly loved you as well. Um, David, 
Dave, tell me, uh, you know, you sent me a note just the other day as we were talking about what this, what we were going to do on the show, and you were kind of sharing your views of uh, about leadership and where you see it going for this next century. Can you share some of that thinking with uh, the audience? Uh, I am so honored to do so. Let me, uh, one of the things is I like to be a little bit of an agitator and contrarian, and so let okay. me frame a concept and then and then we can flesh it out. There's been a lot written about leaders need to be authentic. They need to be emotionally intelligent. They need to have empathy. I'm going to be contrarian. Leadership authenticity that doesn't create value for somebody else is narcissism. Let me mm, give an example. Interesting. In, uh, today we happen to be in a time when there's an American election going on. There might be a time, you know, one of the great things we know is that technology does not always work. And this gives us hope for the relationships of the future. So as the technology works, but there might be somebody running for president who is very authentic. In other words, he's consistent. Every day he does the same set of things. And they're atrocious. They're atrocious. He's a complete narcissist. That is not good leadership. And so in my mind, the key to leadership is not who you are. It's the value that you create for somebody else. And so leadership for me is not about authenticity. It's not about emotional intelligence. It's how do I use my own set of skills to help other people develop their skills and to help them get better. And so in the line of our thinking, Linda, it's leadership is not about who I am and what I do. It's how who I am and what I do helps other people become better at who they are and what they need to do. What they do. That's the logic. I think that's so important. I, I, I love that logic, and I think, you know, I often said, say to leaders that it's a privilege to be a leader, and with that privilege comes a great deal of responsibility around helping others be the best that they can be, but I don't think that's the prevailing leadership model. Do you, David? No, not at all. In fact, I read things, and, and everybody gets excited because they say, wow, uh, this leader is authentic or has emotional intelligence, and the question I ask is, to what extent does this leader make others better? It's, it's kind of like a parent who measures their success by themselves. Really, parents are successful when their kids become better than them. And, and, and so the question becomes, who is it we as leaders are helping get better? And that's where, and I'll just take you down the logic. One is we help our employees get better because of what I do as a leader, the employees I work with, those who I engage, part of my team, are better. One of the things we're discovering is that leaders should also make the customers and investors of a firm better. That a metric of good leadership is not who I am as a leader, but do my customers, do our investors have more confidence in our company as a result of what we've done? Yeah, I thought, you know, those sound like subtle differences, but they're really not. They're huge differences, and that's a major departure from how we looked at leadership in the past century, really. Uh, you know, with 360 and perfecting who you are as an individual, as opposed to looking at how you've, you know, what what impact you've had on others over a period of time. I, th- I think that's really brilliant. You Tell know, one me. Of the interesting, one of the really, uh, let me just, a very simple and interesting test. When I meet with a leader, and, and it's, uh, in my setting, uh, I'm privileged to have a dean whom I admire and respect or a business leader. 
what percent of the time do I leave that meeting feeling better or worse about myself? And what a simple litmus test. It's a great um, test. It, you know, Linda, I hadn't worked with you, but we had a brief interaction in Dubai. You know, I left that session feeling like, wow, this is somebody I can learn from. She gave a great talk about information and the age of discontinuity and how you change the nature of work in the world. You made me feel better. You taught me something. You gave me a sense of confidence. You didn't belittle me. You didn't make me feel stupid. You didn't make me feel bad. That's what leadership is. It's helping other people feel better about who they are and what they do. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I know you know Marshall Goldsmith, right? And uh, so Marshall and I and a bunch of us are getting together this Friday in Chicago and that is something that he he has a series of questions that he asks, you know, and how did I help other people today? Along the same lines, it's it's a fascinating lens uh, through which to look at leaders. I don't see any of our political candidates, quite honestly. Well, I don't want to go there, but at least one that's definitely not doing that. Yeah, well, it so is Dave, frustrating. When, yeah, I won't go there either, but it is frustrating because you go, we need leaders today who help us rise beyond ourselves, who give us a sense of inspiration, yeah. who make me feel like yeah. I can be better. And we need them politically. We also need them in organizations. Um, so, right. yeah. Absolutely. So how do you go about finding these kind of leaders and developing these kind of leaders? Uh, I'm sorry to do, ah, that's kind of a stupid quack. If you could answer that question, <laughs> you would write a book and, uh, and be sitting in your house in North Carolina uh, relishing life. I mean, there isn't a magic answer. I, I think we love magic pills. We'd love to go to Disney World and walk away transformed. I think what you have to do is start by saying, what are the characteristics of a leader who inspires others and makes others feel better? And what that means is defining leadership competencies, not just here's the 20 leaders who did well, the 20 leaders who didn't do well. That's looking backward. I think you've got to look forward and say, who are the customers of this enterprise? Who are the key stakeholders outside, the investors, the customers, the communities? What would leaders need to know and do to be successful in that arena. And then to begin to say, here's the set of personal qualities, some technical skills, some social skills, some of the things they need to have. Then number two, where do we find those? And how do we assess people against that set of criteria? Number three, how do we invest to get it? Where do we help leaders build the criteria and the skill sets for serving others rather than for serving themselves? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Uh, you know, they're starting. Have you heard of Singularity University? It's uh, it's it's a school for uh, younger children, and what they're doing through this school is not using any traditional kind of learning ex- learning tools. What they're doing is providing mentors to these kids as they're coming up, and. I don't know that much about it, but I'm going to find out more about it. It seems as though they are really creating these innovative children who um, are really doing phenomenal things uh, to serve others. I'm, I'm just curious that, that what you're saying is smacking at, I think, some of the traditional views of how we develop and how we train leaders. You know, I, the, the traditional view of development comes from Center for Creative Leadership 702010. 
And, and I think yeah. it's a wonderful formula. I would tweak it to 50, 30, 20. I think 50% is giving leaders job experience. That's the 70. It's stretch you, push you, give you challenges. I don't know, Linda, about you, but I know early in my career, I had challenges that I was just not prepared for. And it pulled me and it stretched me and I learned and I grew. I think 30% is still structured learning development. Uh, and it's not going to a class and, and learning a case study or, or listening to a lecture, but it's, it's action learning on steroids. I call it learning solutions, getting, getting together with other people and really solving problems. And then the 20% is learning from non-traditional ways. That could be a mentor, which I think is a key one, and this school sounds good. It could be like IBM mm-hmm. Service Corps, or Pepsi Service Corps. It could be, um, uh, Linda, I, I know you do service in the community. Well, that community service becomes a source of real learning and, and capacity to become better as a leader. One company we worked with on Wall Street said, you know, instead of giving our leaders 40 hours of training, we're going to encourage them to do 40 hours of coaching of a not-for-profit. So yeah, the high-potential young man or young woman they go to a women's shelter, they go to a homeless shelter, they go to a not-for-profit, and they coach for three hours a month. By the way, most of them doubled down because it was such a good experience. And then you meet once a quarter and you say to these 10 high potentials, what are you learning about leadership as you coach these not-for-profits? And they said, that was one of the best things we've ever done. That's the kind of creative things I think we can get with leadership development. I think so too. I'm I'm totally in agreement with you, and it's very it's very humbling. I I took a group of leaders at one time to uh, a boys and girls club in a in a certain area, and you know they built bikes for these for these kids, and they spent a lot of time with them. And you know when we left and debriefed, the the half the room was in tears because they realized, you know how far they had personally been removed from these experiences and how how they had been doing things that they didn't even consider what was important to other people, but they were thinking about things that were important to themselves. And this one guy said to me, you know, I I love that idea of philanthropy and service. I was with a group today and, and almost every big company does philanthropy and, and those are good things and they should. And then I said, so how many of you are using the philanthropy investments you make to give back to the world as a form of leadership development? And they said, what? And I said, yep. you know, instead of the executives saying we have a million dollars or two million to give away, go get a group of high potentials who may be in their 20s or 30s and say, here's your budget. We're going to give a million dollars. How would you like us to spend that? And, and you train those new leaders about budgeting and strategy and allocation, and they feel so proud of the company because they then represent the company in these service-oriented ways. What a great, what a great solution uh, to leadership. It's, it's a fabulous solution. It, it's a wonderful, wonderful solution. We're at break right now. Stay with us. We're talking to David Ulrich. Uh, Dave is just an icon in the field of leadership development and culture transformation, written over 200 articles and a bazillion books and just a big thinker. I'm loving the conversation. Stay with us.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Do you find yourself working tirelessly to keep your business going? Are you finding out that you don't have time for family, friends, any kind of personal life whatsoever? It's time to stop feeling trapped by your business. Tune in to Reclaim Your Freedom with host Shirley Dalton. You'll hear from guests that will help you work on your business instead of constantly in your business and get your life back while the business keeps running and humming. Reclaim Your Freedom airs live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection. And I have uh, Dr. David Ulrich with me uh, today, and we're just having this great conversation about what real re- leadership means and how you develop real leaders through through uh, social uh, community kinds of service, um, helping people understand what others see and helping bring out the best in others. I, I don't know if you saw it, but there was recently, Dave, a, uh, a hackathon in Silicon Valley where they brought minority, uh, high potential minority uh, thinkers from you know schools around, and they brought them in. Um, major corporations out there uh, covered it, and some of the ideas that came out of that were just wonderful. And when it began, they were had people on saying, you know, I never thought I could do this. You know, I'm a minority student. I I never thought that I could see my way into a a technology job and get this opportunity to innovate and all of that kind of thing. It was very exciting. I I didn't know if you know anything about that. I haven't followed it. I think the hackathon is a marvelous way 
of using social media to engage people in a conversation. And it allows yeah. people to have a voice who might have otherwise felt that they didn't have one. And it's a, it's a great uh, source of information. It was terrific. And these kids, well, I don't know if they're, they're, they're the young adults, came out of there just totally inspired. And that's what learning is all about in my mind. So, Dave, you know, you talked a lot about uh, culture when we were last together. And that happens to be something that's high on my list. Um, you define culture in a very interesting way. Could you share that with us? Sure. Um, first of all, the question is why culture, then what, and then how? Why? Uh, Peter Drucker is attributed to have said, culture eats strategy for lunch. And I should just make a note, we cannot find where he said it. So the takeaway is, if you have a great quote attributed to Peter Drucker, um, because then everybody will <laughs> like Linda Sharkey said, well, that's a good attribution, but Peter Drucker said, the fact is culture matters. Right. We all get it. When you go to a restaurant, when you go to a store, when you go to a dinner at a friend's house, there's a way of doing things that works. So what is culture uh, if we know that it matters? And I think most people define culture either as the events within a company, that's the symbols, the artifacts, the, the physical layout, or as a set of patterns, how people think, how they behave, how they feel. I'm going to disagree a little bit, and not disagree, but push it a little bit. And it's the same kind of idea about, that we just talked about in the last segment on leadership. Culture is not how you think and feel and behave. Culture, and the right culture, is whether you think and feel and behave according to what you promise your customers. And again, leadership authenticity is not enough in case it creates value. Culture should be creating value for your customers. And so we believe that culture is the identity of the firm in the mind of your most critical customer. So what is it our customers value that caused them to buy from us? That premise should become our culture. I'm going to give an example that's a little contrarian. In the last six months or about six or eight months ago, Amazon got vilified in the media because, right. now, let me be really clear, if you abuse people, that's inappropriate. And I think everyone would agree. But the real issue is people went after Amazon because they have a very rigorous, disciplined, tough culture. I was just in a workshop. And I've been in workshops the last few months. Who has never bought anything from Amazon? It's a double negative. The fact is we all have. I'm betting, Linda, if I went right. to you, you buy from, I buy from Amazon. And I say to those of us who are Amazon customers, why? I could buy from Amazon. I could buy from Walmart.com. I could buy from somebody else. Why Amazon? And here's the answer. They're consistent. They're predictable. They're easy. They do what they promise. I don't have to worry about the infrastructure. And then I begin to say, you know what? That should be their culture. Amazon's culture is not one of great innovation. It's not one of great creativity. They deliver as promised every time. And so I do Amazon Prime. And this is like a commercial for Amazon. But they'll deliver it Wednesday morning when they say they'll deliver it. You know what? Their culture is very strict. It's very rigorous. It's very disciplined. Because that's what we as a customer want. Now, again, if you're yeah. abusing people, that's inappropriate. We all get that. But I had a, a student, I'll just finish this. He got his MBA, and he has a job offer at Google and one at Amazon. I frankly said, which one should I take? And I said, take one. It doesn't matter. They're both great companies. 
But he said, well, which one, how do I think about it? I said to my friend Nate, do you prefer a work setting that is ambiguous, that's creative, that you think outside the box, but you never really know if you've succeeded because it's all innovation? Or do you like one where there's structure, there's discipline, there's clear processes? And I said, take 24 hours. And he came back and he said, Dave, I like the structure. I like to know what I've gotten done. I like to see the results. Go to work at Amazon. The message is the culture of a company should reflect the promises we make our customers. I've talked too long in that piece. I'll stop with that. No, I love that. No, I think that's absolutely right. Because actually, what they did say uh, was that Amazon... I saw some of the quotes around it and no number of people that work there, including the head of human resources, which is the next GE guy, um, is the hunger games of corporate America. But what I really think is what you just said is that it is, it's, it's got a certain kind of rigor to it. Certain people don't want that kind of rigor. Certain people can't thrive in that kind of environment. So they, they don't gravitate there and they, they see it as a negative. And I think your coaching advice to that young gentleman was absolutely perfect. So well, and again, the point is that rigor at Amazon is what I'm paying for as a customer. I don't right. want to know exactly. if, if the product's going to be shipped between Wednesday and Monday. I liked it when they can tell me you ordered it. And if you, if you click on this button, it's easy. In the next 10 minutes or hour, it will arrive Wednesday by 3 o'clock. Behind yeah. that is a lot of discipline, and I'm delighted with that. Right. Anyway. Right. That's right. My no, I think it's culture. an absolutely it's, good point. Is, is when you begin cultured, companies have brought us in, and I've been so privileged to work in, in incredible companies. They say, help us change our culture. And my first comment is, May I look at your advertising, your print media, your social media, your television media? And they're going, well, that's marketing. That's not culture. And I'm saying that is culture because those external promises should reflect our internal values. I think that's a great point. So then how do you help them uh, transform when there is a disconnect? Because often, often, Dave, you know this that what's said in the marketing materials do not reflect at all. The one I hate the most is, you're our customer. You are so important to us. Please stay on the line. We'll have someone with you shortly, and you're on the line for three to five minutes. Right? Linda, I'm going to use that. That is so great. We so much care about you. We'll be back with you in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Back um, so, so stay with us, you know. Yeah. That's so how such do a good you example. help com- well, my how first do you help is- a company... Yeah. The first sense is, the first effort is help the company get clear about how do we translate our firm brand in the marketplace, the promises to customers, into an internal set of values. So does that firm brand translate into the, into the cultural messages that we articulate? Then I argue once you get that clear, there's four things you can do. The first one is what I call the intellectual agenda. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Make sure that the intellectual message of what we're saying our culture is is consistent with what we promise customers. Number two, behavioral agenda. Make sure that every one of our employees every day acts against the promises we make customers. Did you do something today that helped live up to what we promised customers? Number three is what I call the process agenda or the system. Hiring people, promoting people, paying people, training people, 
are all of those processes linked to the culture. And the most critical is number four, which is have a leadership brand. Are my leaders today doing the things that we promised our customers? And if we do those four things, the intellectual agenda, the behavioral agenda, the process agenda, the leadership agenda, I think we're going to be able to begin to move culture forward. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I I, I just want to ask you a question about that, though. I'm, I'm totally aligned with what you said. But I have been in many, many companies where someone will say, okay, this person... Uh, you know, they're a brilliant physicist, they're a brilliant whatever, and they're not aligned with uh, the internal culture based on the values and based upon, you know, the, the value to the customer and the, and the market brand. And a lot, I, fi- I see a lot of CEOs unwilling to face into getting rid of somebody who is like that. Do you see that too? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... One of the headlines is hire for culture fit, train for technical. So when we hire people, we ought to make sure that they fit the values, the culture that we're promising customers. Good people can learn some of the technical stuff, the the programming, the software, and we often go the other way. So, Linda, you've been in these companies. What do you say to the CEO who has a very good technical person? But they aren't living the values well. What would you say? To, what would you counsel the CEO to do with that person? I'm going to turn well, the table. Well, I mean, I've, have you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I, you know, I've I've been in that situation, and you know, at, at that point, I usually counsel the CEO that they need to be really clear on uh, explaining the behaviors that are expected of that individual and walking them through what that's going to look like. And I often, uh, that, that's where coaching comes into play, honestly. And, but if somebody doesn't believe uh, that they need to change and they think everybody else, which also happens, Dave, they think everybody else around them needs to change, then I, th- I would counsel the CEO to take a firm stand because who you support, who you hire, who you promote sends volumes about whether you're really serious of having a... Uh, value proposition. I totally agree. And I think the signal that is driven into your culture internally. So sometimes I think you have to make the tough calls. I totally agree. I think the signals that we send around people really reflect our values. And and it's so critical. The only other thing I might add to what you've said that's so good is I think you go to that technical employee and say to that employee, let me give you some feedback or Marshall's word, feed forward, right. who, who's so good. Right. Um, you are technically superb. Where do you want to go with your career? One option is totally we're going to put you in a, in a box and we're going to continue to have you do the technical work you've always done. You could do that and you never have to interact with people and you can, you, we just apply and leverage your technical expertise. If you want to move up and move into the next career stage, you're going to have to learn a new set of skills. And we will work with yep. you to get them. You can learn these skills of listening, of engaging, of, of connecting, of making bids, of building relationships. But we want you to want those skills. And if you're willing to invest, we'll invest in you. But let the employee make the choice. If you choose to be a technical expert, We'll put you in the basement somewhere, and we'll take your IQ, 
by the way, that's a pretty boring career. We hope you'll right. do the other. <laughs> you'll be do better. It's a perfect time to take a break, and then we can segue into some other things. I'm in violent agreement with you, Dave, on that point. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we're taking a break. Stay with us. We're going to talk about some of the implications for human resources with uh, one of the gurus of human resources, David Ulrich. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Great leaders today have certain capabilities that set them apart. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership, hosted by Kate Ebner, is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these stories and concepts every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now... Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection. And with me today is David Ulrich, a professor of the Rensis Lickert School um, and just a great thinker in leadership, culture transformation, does a lot of work with the Fortune 500 companies all over the world. We were just having a great conversation about what do you do with somebody who doesn't, who's a great technical expert and doesn't fit into the internal uh, cultural framework of the organization. And 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 Dave was talking about giving them the personal choice, which I think is brilliant. 
asking them what's their aspiration. Where do they want to be? And if they don't want to aspire to anything else, then, you know, you kind of put them in, in the box. But this calls upon another area in my mind, Dave, where you are just uh, a, a great uh, illuminary. And that's in the area of human resources. So, so what do you think the role of human resources is in some of this? And how is that changing? You know, I think, and, and thank you, and, and this is when I, you know, let's go for six hours, but let me try to do it in 60 seconds. <laughs> I think traditionally human resources was around labor relations, industrial relations, or term, uh, terms and conditions of work. We've moved to using human resources to help a business deliver strategy. We are now moving to human resources to help a business create strategy. We call that HR outside in, connecting HR to the customers and using HR to, to help a business win in the marketplace. And there's three things, and I'm really synthesizing complicated work, that HR says, I'm going to come to the business discussion and finance brings economic data, marketing brings customer data. I think we bring in HR data around three things. One is talent. Do our people have the skills, commitment, and engagement to win, both technical and cultural? But the second is culture. Do we have the right culture to win? And we talked about that in the previous segment. Individuals right. are champions, but teams win the championship. And HR should bring to the table a great set of disciplines around getting talent and another set of disciplines around building culture. And the intersection of those two, if you put your fingers together, is leadership. Leaders shape talent and leaders shape culture. And so when I talk to HR people and say, what's next in HR? It's helping the organization win in the marketplace with customers and or investors through talent, leadership, and culture. That's it. Wow, I think that's I think that's brilliant. Do you see a lot of HR people in that category that are 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 playing that role or it's the wrong term, but are are providing that kind of perspective to HR? You know, and it's so fun, Linda, and you've been an agitator and, and that's a positive word, an activist <laughs> trying to create change. I've been an agitator in HR and with leaders. Here's my experience. 2060-20, and you can fudge the numbers, 20% of HR folks are terrific. 20% are terrible, and 60% are in the middle. There's a kind of distribution. Yeah. If, you, if someone yeah. wants to write an article, I hate HR, they're terrible people, I can go find you some folks who are terrible. But if you want right. to write an HR, I love HR, they're all wonderful, both 20% are frankly irrelevant. The good 20%, leave them alone. The bad 20%, leave them alone. Focus on the 60. And what I'm seeing is more right. HR people in that middle are trying to get better. Right. So what what would you say um, are the key? I know you have the purpose and, and, and the, the talent and the, the culture and the leaders. What, in your view, do HR people have to do to develop themselves in this direction? Oh, if I were sitting near you, I'd give you a high five and a hug. Um, we started 30 <laughs> years ago asking the question, so what set of skills do HR people need? By the way, that question is a little more subtle. And a lot of people do HR co or competency models. What set of skills do you need? That's the wrong question. It's what set of skills do you need 
to create value for the business. Again, it's, it's not, who do I think I am? That's mirror, mirror on the wall. Aren't I the greatest of them all? It's, what do I need to know and do to win? Here's what we found, and I'll try to capture this. We, we've done seven rounds of research. We just did one with uh, Dave Krasinski and Mike Ulrich and Wayne Brockbank and I with 30,000 respondents. Number one, to get invited to the business discussion, you've got to be a credible activist. You've got to build relationships. You've got to have a point of view. That's to get invited. Number two, now that I'm invited, what do I have to talk about? If I'm going to represent the employee in the business discussion, I should still be a credible activist. But if I want to represent value to the customer and investor, I need to be what we call a strategic positioner. Not just knowing the business, but to position the business. So number one, to get invited to a business meeting, relationships matter a lot. Credibility, active, building trust. Number two, when I'm in that discussion, I represent the employees by maintaining trust, but I represent the customers by strategic positioner. Number three, and then I'll be done. What do I have to know and do in HR to drive real business value? What do I do that shapes the business? So it isn't just, here's a list of 10 competencies, which one drives business value? And here's what we found, the navigation of paradox. Being able to manage yeah. in that meeting tension and paradox. So that's what we found. Yeah, that's that's really uh, very interesting. So that's the biggest predictor. And that's something that we've always talked about, about leadership. I mean, there is that always tension of short-term versus long-term sustainability of of a company and that's you know that's the heart of it. So what do you see as um, some of the major paradoxes that that HR people have to really understand about the business world? Well, it's, I, again, I, I, I do uh, we're just learning this and we're trying to figure it out. So it's fun to have data that takes us to a next step. But you ask people, should we be top down or bottom up? Yes. Should we be focused on right. the individual or on the team? Yes. Should we be yes. long-term right. or short-term? Yes. Now, the, the place that I get that, and, and this is the one that really grabs me, good companies have an ability to diverge their opinion. We value diversity. We value divergence. If you, if you have your hands, put them a long way apart. We want that divergence. That divergence gives us innovation. It gives us creativity. But then we've got to turn from divergence to convergence. We love the divergence to get new opinions, but then we've got to narrow down like a funnel and focus on the two or three things we've got to do to win. Now, if we only converge too much, we have groupthink. That's not good. What I'm seeing in good HR people and good leaders, they know when to diverge. What's the options? Have we thought about what's a way of doing it? How do we approach this? How do we conceive this differently? Let's diverge. And then they seem to have an intuition when to converge. Great. We've had a great dialogue. There's seven options. But if we have 100 points, we're not going to give 12 points each option. We're going to focus on these two or three. And so the paradox that I find fascinating is when to diverge and when to converge and knowing how to do that effectively. Yeah, that's brilliant. Brilliant. You also talked a little bit um, about the coaching, the three coaching questions that you ask people. Can you share some about that? Yeah, this is uh, 
I had the privilege of being a commencement speaker uh, a year and a half or two years ago. And it's always tough because I don't have a life story like Oprah or Stephen Jobs. In fact, my life story is fairly boring. And so I thought, what can I encourage people who are going through transition to consider? And I've had the privilege with uh, Linda, like you have, and Marshall Goldsmith, who's phenomenal, of having coached some really great people. I boiled it down to three questions. If I'm coaching you, number one, what do you want? What is wanted is the most critical question we'll ever be asked because if we don't answer and know what we want, somebody will answer it for us and we'll end up being somebody else's server rather than our own. If I know what I want, I'm willing to pay a price for it because nothing comes without a trade-off. I know that I want to spend time with family, to be a good father, to be a good mother, to be a good parent. You know what? If that's what I want and I don't get the next career promotion as a result, super. Number two, who do I serve? What do I want is about me, but who do I serve? Make sure that I'm clear that I'm helping somebody else succeed. Success by yourself is very lonely. I've had the chance, and Linda, I'm sure you have, if I were to say to you, Pick a beautiful spot in the world you've had the chance to visit. It might be Sydney Harbor. It might be um, San Francisco. It might be Raleigh, North Carolina. That was a joke, actually. But, but, but when I go <laughs> to those places that are so beautiful, I just want to share it with the people I care about. And, and standing on the Sydney Harbor Opera by myself is kind of lonely. But if I'm sharing that with my wife or my children or my best friend's Man, does it relish. And, and a beautiful sunrise is not very powerful by yourself. That's who do I serve. And number three, how do I build? Yeah. What I want is about me. Who I serve yeah. is about the relationships. And how I build is creating that culture organization that outlasts me. Good leaders do all three of those. Yeah, regardless of whether they're in HR or not. I, I think those are brilliant, brilliant questions, Dave. Really brilliant questions. I, I, I want to ask you, you know, as you're looking out on a crystal ball, what one or two predictions do you have for the future relative to, 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 to work and how people are going to be engaging with each other going forward? You know, I'm going to give you a paradox. I've been thinking about that. Um, and here's the first is a little bit pessimistic. I did Okay. Somebody, pessimistic. Somebody buys a snake. They pet it. They love it. They take it home. And a week later, the snake bites them. In the American political process, we have people running for office about whom I get frustrated. And that's a mistake on my part. They're a snake. What did you expect? But the fact that they're getting 30 to 40% of the votes tells me there's a deeper issue here. It's not about the snake. Yes. It's about the society right. that gets people to buy the snake. And so part of me is a little worried, and I just did a column. I get a little worried that we become desensitized as a society through reality TV. You know, think about re- yeah, reality I agree. TV used to be fun. Linda, you and I may be the only ones that remember, but remember Candid Camera, the gong show. Oh, Those I do. Were cute. <laughs> they were engaging. Yeah. But now reality TV is, you're fired. You're a loser. There's only one winner. And then the Survivor Island, 20 people fail. There's one bachelorette who makes it. And part of me is saying we've turned into a reality TV to reality politics. May we not create reality organizations where it's short term. It's who can be the nastiest, the quickest, who can 
Who can have self-interest maximized? I hope we don't go there. That's a little pessimistic. I hope we don't. I'm a a little worried about that, that that we don't let that reality TV desensitize us to the such critical nature of collective community. Now, here's the optimistic side. I think those people that get seduced into reality TV are basically seekers, if you want to go back to a funny term. They're seekers. They want a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of identity. I hope we can create organizations that provide that. You know, come work at Zappos. Come work at Whole Foods. Come work at this university. We're not going to be a reality TV show where, where you fight and you scream and you argue and you try to win by making somebody else look stupid, we're going to take good people and become better together. And I, on the optimistic side, hope we can create organizations that win by doing that. And those organizations, there's a group called Firms of Endearment. Those organizations not only win by getting more well-being and productivity out of their employees, they win in the marketplace. Investors, and that's our book on leadership capital, investors will give those organizations a premium. So part of me is pessimistic. I don't happen to live in that world of reality TV where you win by making somebody else look stupid. That's just so disheartening. I hope we can create organizations that win by building and, and building on our higher selves and making us look better. Yeah. And, and you know what's so powerful about what you said, Dave, is because we did used to have win-lose organizations, and they were terrible. And many of us have worked in them and have experienced them. Fortunately, a lot of them are not around anymore. But when we get that mentality when we're going to kick someone else in the teeth to get ourselves ahead or we're going to shut people out in a world that needs inclusion – in ways that we've, we've never seen before, it's going to be a very, very sad day. So I'm hopeful with you that, um, that, that we're not going to have that view of how workplaces are. And there's a lot of shining lights out there. As you know, you mentioned Zappos, uh, Menlo Innovations. I had um, uh, uh, Rich Sheridan, who's the CEO there, and he wrote um, – Joy Inc. And there, there are a lot of great organizations out there that are thinking along the lines that you're thinking. And I think you're pushing the envelope even one step further around the servant leadership and then taking that and bringing it back into the organization from a promise perspective to the customers and a value proposition within the organization. It's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant lineup. So, Dave, well, one I final hope- last word. Go ahead. No. I hope it also creates value for the investor. Somebody says, do you want to make profit or do you care about people? And the answer is, yep. doggone it, making meaning makes money. Investors right. value better leadership and better organizations. And yes. so I want to see us begin yep. to create those. So, Linda, yep. you are such a gem. Yeah, and maybe we're both a <laughs> little naive and, and shooting, uh, you know, blowing in the wind that's going to blow the other way. But I tend to be more of an optimist. There are some prophets who tell people if they don't change, they're going to hell. I'd rather be the prophet right. that says, let me give you a pathway to heaven. And, and, yeah, and sure. I'm not going to say how bad things are. I want to show us how we can get better. And so do you. And I hope that's what yes, we can do absolutely. is give people a pathway to better organization. I am help people, I like to say, a little bit differently than you do, but same concept, help people live their dreams. And that's, that's really what it's all about, you know. 
living you know, that's the best that they that's can be. That's a great, be. Way to, great way to go. Yeah. Well, so Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. I so greatly appreciate it. Um, people want to get a hold of you, how they can do www.daveulrich. Is that .com? Is yep, that, or Twitter. How do they get a Twitter, hold Dave underline Ulrich. I do that now. I'm starting to. Or emailed. My initials, D-O-U at umesh.edu. So I'm, I would Great. love to connect with people who have this, these ideas, and let's make, the, let's make our dreams better. I think your idea is just a brilliant one. Thanks, Linda. Yeah. Okay, Dave, thank you very much. And, again, have a nice flight this evening, and I know it was tough for you to get on the show and make the time to do this, and I'm very, very grateful for it. Coming up on our next show is Sir Clive Woodward. Sir Clive was the and uh, the uh, English uh, rugby coach, and he took England to uh, the World Championship and uh, won the World Cup for rugby in uh, 2003. He also they were the leader in the 2012 Olympics. What a wonderful man! I think you're going to find listening to that show, our, our next show next week. Uh, that Clive really embraces a lot of the philosophies that Dave was talking about and that I've been talking about, helping other people be the best. And he had a coaching model that he used with his team based on data, a lot of the sort of money ball kind of view, although I think he was much more um, of a learning coach with his team than um, money ball uh, articulated. But he, you know, having that approach of helping that team be the best that they can be playing plays and digitizing them so players could see things that were going on and then talking about what you learn from that. How could we be different? What could we do better? How could we change? That all inspired people. And he said they came up, his team came up with wonderful strategies for the next round. And he kind of stood back and just gave them the opportunity to innovate and do that. A wonderful thinker. Wonderful leader, and I think you'll enjoy the show. So thank you, everyone, who's uh, been with me over these last uh, 18 to 20 months. I greatly appreciate the uh, listenership, and I hope you'll join me next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead. The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.